You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Great to see you here, and it's so nice to be in a warm facility, amen, and with warm people. Yeah, that was pretty weak. So anyway, it is good to see you here today. We're going to wrap up today on the series, Flourish Under Adversity, and I began this in the Gospel of Mark, and then I've used a variety of other texts we've talked about in Daniel, we've gone to Genesis 26, today we'll be going to uh, Gen- or Genesis chapter 39 and a couple other chapters associated with the story of Joseph. But it's all designed for us to see that God has a design for us to flourish regardless of whether the culture is favorable towards our values or not. We don't get a reprieve just because things are unfriendly around us. I got about half of you on that one. So let's everybody stand if we will. And we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 6. I'll be uh, sharing much more text other than what we're reading, but this at least sets it up for where the message will go today. So let's begin. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you help us to have a mindset to have an open mind to receive what your Holy Spirit says to us. We pray that it does more than just affects our mind. We pray that you touch our heart, where our values, our morals come from, where they settle. Help us, God, I pray, to align our lives with your activity and your principles in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you and be seated. So, one of the things that we have, I've done in this series is focused on, the whole series has been about the, the ability to flourish under adversity. We have to be careful that we don't get a particular mindset that says we need favorable political uh, conditions for us to be able to thrive and to be effective. I've used a lot of stories in the Bible where it was not favorable, but the mindset, if we're not careful, is this, and I I do hear this from people from time to time, is, well, we're just going to have to endure the next two years. We're going to have to endure the next four years, and I'm like, yeah, I go to my Bible, and I don't see where we're supposed to endure. We're supposed to thrive, grow, flourish, in spite of whether we think things politically align the way they need to go or not. And and if we're not careful, we get into this mentality of we have to hold on until we get the change that we want in the White House. We need to hang on until we get the change in Congress. Now we we need to hang on until we get the change in the courts. And what you find is this. If you listen to everybody, you'll never do anything. Because you're always hoping for some kind of change and some kind of alignment. And the Bible shows us... Yeah, it's nice when maybe the governmental system is, is, is embodying the, the value system that we believe in. It makes it easier for us, okay? But you don't find in the Bible where it says, well, you Christians just, you know, you're just going to have to go on hold until, no, you, what you find is the followers of, of God, they're in. We're living, we're thriving, we're growing, and it, it's more challenging than, and then maybe than we would like it to be. But what you'll see is this. Every message I focused on in this, in this series 
focused on the mandate and the ability to flourish when culture was not friendly towards biblical values. I shared some stories out of the Gospel of Mark, and in that particular time when the Gospel of Mark was, was written, the Christians were being hunted, literally hunted and executed, and yet there's teachings in the Gospel of Mark about flourishing and thriving. And you're kind of like, how can you talk about such a concept when you're running for your life? And then you, we read uh, the story of Daniel, where Daniel was... He thrived in Babylon. Even though he was taken as a slave, his nation was wrecked, his people were ruined. He personally was ruined because of, of what they did to him. And yet Daniel flourished in Babylon. No, God didn't give him the power to overthrow Babylon. But God helped him to flourish in spite of Babylon. Last week we talked about Isaac and how God called him to go to the Philistine. Again, another nation completely against the values and the morals of what Isaac adhered to and what he believed. And God, in the middle of a famine, blesses Isaac in spite of Philistine rule. And today we're looking at the story of Joseph, how God blessed him. And even though the Egyptian world culture, the governmental system was everything that he, he that was against everything that he adhered to as a, as a follower of God in his day, and God blessed him anyway. So I've used these because what you're going to hear is, you're probably going to hear some things that I've already said, but the point being is this, I want you to see there are principles that transcend. In other words, well, it just worked in that time and it doesn't transcend that particular, no, they're principles that are consistent across the board and you find that no matter what culture we find our in or we find ourselves in no matter what type of environment whether it's friendly or tolerant or unfriendly it doesn't matter can I tell you God has a way of blessing his people but here's the catch as followers of Christ we need the creativity of the Holy Spirit to help us adapt without compromising come on you can say amen to that amen. There's two things that, that, that are very important to catch here. Number one, you have to have the Holy Spirit help you. I don't know where you are on the fence on that. I don't know where, what you believe. I don't know if you, you know, you're still in, on a journey. And let me just tell you this. You need the power of the Holy Spirit because the spirits that we fight in those dark realms of heavenly places, no, those aren't Pastor Greg's words. They come right out of the book of Ephesians. Okay? I would love to take a swing at darkness sometimes, but the problem is I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a fleshly individual trying to take a swing at darkness, which is a spiritual element. So the only way I can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if I don't engage with the Holy Spirit, I remove one of the most critical tools that God gives me to be able to take a swing at darkness. I'm not talking about people, okay? But we all know, we, if you understand the concept of spiritual warfare. So number one, we have to have the Holy Spirit. The second thing is this. This is why we need the wisdom and the knowledge and the discernment. Because we have to adapt without compromising. Unfortunately, we are in a time where we're watching that pendulum go, where we are watching people who call it adapting, but they're also compromising. And let me just tell you this, God doesn't need us to help him out by selling out. He doesn't need that. So we have to have some creativity. How do I do this without compromise? So we do live in a struggle and a day. We need the Holy Spirit. We have to have some creativity and we have to have that adaptability. But we also have to have principles by which we're doing things. And everybody said amen to that. Amen. So we're going to look at Joseph's life. How does a guy thrive in Egypt? Number one, he's taken captive as a slave. Okay? How, how does a guy who's a follower of God, who's a slave, and is now in a foreign country, how does he thrive? How does he flourish? How does he get traction? So we're going to read his story. So number one, everybody read this out loud. God's presence in a person's life is greater than any cultural restraint. We read this story, and I don't know if you picked up some of the repeated verbiage that was inside those few verses that we read. Because he's actually telling us how it all started for Joseph to be able to flourish under adverse conditions. 
Notice this, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Do you see the Lord was with Joseph? So what you find is this. Egypt took his freedom and Egypt took a lot of things from him, but it could not take his God. Notice verse 3. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, there's a great witnessing tool. I don't mind if you tell me if the Lord is with you, but I would like people who aren't followers of Christ to tell me, do you know the Lord was with him? How many know that's a testimony? Yeah. Sometimes we're good about playing to those who already are followers of Christ and we have our special lingo. But we use that lingo in front of people who don't know Jesus and they are clueless what we're talking about. And it says here, his master, by the way, master, this is his slave owner. His, now see, we could get into a whole dialogue like how could God even let that happen? I know I have that dialogue. What are you doing letting a godly guy be owned by an ungodly God or guy? I don't understand this God and you're blessing it. I have a problem. How many have ever told God you got a problem? I don't, how many have ever told God you didn't like the way he was handling things? Come on, I need... <laughs> Oh, man, I'm going to say, hey, Lord, um, I appreciate the activity, but I do have a plan B for you. <laughs> have you ever noticed God's not politically correct? <laughs> when his master saw that the Lord was with him, notice it, and that the Lord gave him success. Do you notice it keeps saying the Lord, the Lord, the Lord? Look at this. It goes on, verse 5. From that time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian. Now, here's another thing. See, I have a problem there. God, what are you doing blessing a heathen? Who's a slave owner? You're using a godly guy who's enslaved to bless a household that doesn't worship you. And he's committing some horrible offenses by engaging in slavery. God, I've got a problem with you using the godly to bless the ungodly. And you know what the Lord told me? None of my business. <laughs> yeah. Somehow we think, you know, God needs our permission. You know, he's got to run his plan by us. And if we approve, then it's all good. God's like, appreciate your input, but I don't run things by you. Yeah. Notice this, because of Joseph, the bless, notice the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So it all, in, in, in five verses, we see that the writer of Genesis is making very clearly that while Egypt has taken his freedom, has taken things from, taken him from his family, Egypt has not been able to take him from his God. And with his God, even in slavery, Joseph is able to flourish. And his flourishing is not only for himself, he is flourishing in a way that is blessing other people around him who aren't even followers of God. So God's presence in a person's life is greater than any cultural strength, restraint. See, let me give you a little history here. Some of you may not know, but when... In the New Testament, you go to the book of Timothy, and it says all Scripture is God-breathed. How many know that? You, just look, you know the New Testament hasn't been written yet. He's referring to the Old Testament. Some of you went, I never thought of that. See, that's why you come to church. <laughs> that's not saying that the New Testament is not inspired. But when it was written, he was referring to the Old Testament. Because the New is still being written. Right. And so a lot of the principles that we read in the New Testament are actually rephrasing principles of the Old Testament. So such as this, God's presence in a person's life is greater than any cultural restraint. Some people have made a, good, a case that this is maybe one of the things that influenced Paul to write this. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Ah. Yeah, where did that come from? Well, if he was a student of the Old Testament, here's a classic example of where he's seeing that the Lord being with Joseph was more powerful than it, being in Joseph and with Joseph was more powerful than anything on the outside that Egypt could throw at him. 
Let me tell you what, the world will take a lot of things from you. But it can't take your God from you. The world's tried it. And from time to time we get a political uh, person who will slip and make their statements about those people who cling to their God. And I always go, thank you. That you noticed. And you're right. I do cling to him. You are correct. I know you meant that as sarcasm. I know you meant that as a put down. But I wear that as a badge of honor. You better believe I cling to my God. Absolutely. Don't head, hang my head in shame. Don't feel like I need to explain it to anybody. I'm good with that. Thank you for the fact that you know that my God influences my behavior and what I believe and what I do. And it's not for sale. You can take things from me, but you're not taking him from me. Let me tell you this, to flourish in adversity means you have to know this, he's with you. He's with you. And that is the difference maker. And that's the thing the world can't take. Number two, read this out loud. Consistent godly integrity leads to new dimensions of God's favor. Notice I said consistent godly behavior, godly integrity. Sometimes people want one good thing to carry them. No, when you do one good thing and then you go back to doing bad things, you are sabotaging the good thing you just did. So it's a consistent, godly integrity. So we read here, here's a story. Joseph is in Potiphar's house, and let me paraphrase what's going on. Potiphar's wife makes a play for Joseph. In today's world, she would be considered to be trying to sexually assault Joseph because she is a person of authority, and Joseph is under her authority, and she is making a play and a sexual overtone towards him. She is actually trying to sexually assault Joseph. And Joseph tells her no. And as a result, she goes and says, to her husband and to those who would listen, that Joseph was guilty of trying to sexually assault. And as a result, he gets removed from uh, Potiphar's house and he gets put in prison. For a charge, so this, uh, this is the second time he's been convicted of something that he's innocent of. Now there's enough right there to make you say, I'm not sure what God's doing here. And I don't, I don't understand why God doesn't have my back. It's one, it's one thing to get unjustly convicted once, but twice? Are you kidding me? Come on, God, when are you going to... See, this is where we have to play or see the 30,000-foot view of what God is doing because nothing will happen unless God has a plan. So look at what happens. No one... So this is what Joseph says to Potiphar's wife when she makes an, a sexual overtone, tries to assault him. This is, what, this is what he says to her. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I... Hey, everybody read that last sentence there. Read it. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Notice he didn't say sin against Potiphar. He didn't say sin against myself. He didn't say sin against my family values. Sin against the way I was raised. Who does he say I can't sin against? God. He kept the absolute highest moral value and character intact by saying this deed, this act is not offending. It's not so much as it hurts other people. I will, let's notice it. He has personalized God. I will not do this because it's against my God. God is not a distant figure to him. God is very, per so, he, so we see that God is blessing him in the context that he's in but he also recognizes that even though he's not, even though he is innocent and he is being charged with things, he refuses to give up his godly character and integrity. Sometimes people will say this, well, why, what was I supposed to do with what was going on? I would have preferred to have kept my character and integrity. But look what everybody else was doing. And what else was I supposed to do? So I just went along with it. I'll tell you this. You shouldn't have sinned against God. That's simple. Don't let your integrity and character be a point of negotiation. 
yeah, everybody in Joseph's world was caving in. Joseph said, I'm not. That's a non-negotiable. I don't do what I do because everybody else has the same value. I do what I do because I'm not going to sin against God. So it really, listen, we don't take our conviction cues from culture. Because they're constantly changing the standard of what's right and what's wrong. We take it from God. In his day, he said, I will not do this. Now notice this. So what happens? He goes back to prison. But while Joseph was there in the prison, notice the Lord was with him. Notice how it's always personal. The Lord's with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because is everybody starting to see because the Lord, because the Lord, because the Lord, because the Lord, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Even in prison, Joseph said, I can flourish. Now, you got to understand, what exactly, where do you start if you're in prison going, I'm here to make this place flourish. <laughs> and I don't mean this against any, but, but if you know, you're like, there's, it's, how, take, how about just survive and get out, Okay. Uh, gonna thrive, gonna flourish. That you, if you were gonna do that, you wouldn't be here. Joseph, I can flourish. So what I want you to see is this: He's been removed from his family. He's been removed from his culture. He's now in a foreign land. He's been convicted wrongfully. He worked his way out of it, only to be wrongfully convicted again, put back, and he just keeps thriving. Why? Because the Lord's with him. In every context, the Lord's with me. The Lord blesses my, the Lord is even blessing my prison work. My God, my God is even blessing the supervision that I have. In, I am blessed because God's with me. And he can bless me even in a prison. Even though I don't belong here, he blesses me. So what we see here is this, consistent Godly integrity leads to new dimensions of God's favor. I'm sure Joseph at the moment thought, this is not what a new, this doesn't feel like a new dimension. But it actually was. See, we, see, because we know how the story played out, we're like, oh yeah, it all works out. Yeah, well, he didn't know that at the time. It just, listen, keeping your integrity will swing doors. It does. Don't sell them out. Number three, read it out loud. Stay true to the identity God gave you in the face of cultural headwinds. I said something similar when I shared on Daniel. Remember, I shared they had their Hebrew names and then they got their new Babylonian names. But Daniel would never refer to his friends by their Babylonian name. His ba and his friends would never use his Babylonian they, they only used their Jewish names. The only time that you see their Babylonian names being used were by those in Babylon who were in authority. But when they had the preference to choose which name they were going to use, they always used their Hebrew names. This is an interesting concept because this is a thousand years or so even before all that happened. And so you can see this is a consistent principle. Never let culture re-identify you. Because it says here, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. Let me translate that. When he said he's Pharaoh, he's saying he's God. I am God. But without your word, no one else will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. So what he's saying is, I am giving you all this authority. Verse 45. And here's the trade-off. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephenath Paneah and gave him uh, Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. The catch was, you have all this power, but your name has been changed. I want you to see something that you don't recognize in the text too quickly. It's the only time his Egyptian name is listed is that verse. He never lets the story be told without his name being Joseph. Let me tell you why. 
Because the name Joseph means Jehovah who has added. Because remember he was toward the end of the line with his father and so his name Joseph means Jehovah who has added. So when Pharaoh called Joseph by his name, he was reminded that this God has been this guy has been dedicated to another God. And so Pharaoh was like, I don't like calling you by your name because by calling you by your name, I'm acknowledging your God. I'm always using the word Jehovah and I don't like it. So we're going to change your name to Zavenipaneah, which means this, treasury, <laughs> treasury of rest. Because in, base, in, in, in his culture, he was basically making Joseph the treasurer of all the resources of Egypt. And so he changed his name to basically, you're, you're the treasurer of Egypt. That's your name, treasurer of Egypt. And when Joseph left the presence of Pharaoh and he had, a, had a, the ability to use it, he always said, well, that, that's what I am when I'm with Pharaoh, but when I leave his presence... I'm Joseph. Jehovah's added. Joseph did not let his identity get changed. And you see this later again as I showed you with Daniel. And my my point in saying is this. You have to accept and trust God that the way he crafted you and created you is his gift to you. It says in Psalm 139 that he knitted you together in your mother's womb. He ordained the days of your life in his book before one of them came to be. You are not something that needs to be fixed because culture has some done some kind of exegetical thing on you. Can I tell you this? God created you the way he created you for a purpose. You have a design. You have a purpose. You have a meaning. And the world is trying to tell you that is something wrong with you. Why? Because Jehovah created you. Don't let the world steal that from you. You are Jehovah's craftsmanship. You are his work of art. Do not let them take that from you. You're sacred. God, God says you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not, buying, I'm not buying what the world has to sell. That I need to change this about my life and this part of me and this. No, no. Not buying that. Because they're telling me God screwed up. I'm not going to stand in front of God and tell him that. You messed up. No, he didn't. The world has messed up. And by the way, I just say this again. We're in the middle of this massive experimentation, societally speaking. Everything from defund the police to identities and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just telling you, there is no place in history that they can point to to say, this is where we got it. This is where it worked. And it was such a utopia. And we lost it. And so we're just trying to recover a utopia that was lost back there. They have nothing in history to prove to you that all this experimentation has worked. It has not worked. But they think that we have finally gotten smart enough that we know how to navigate any of the consequences that comes with those decisions. And I'm telling you, we ain't that smart. And when the social experiment is done, we're going to have so many lives crushed, ruined. And they're going to be saying, they lied to us. And we told you they did. But I believe them. I know that. And I'm sorry, but they're lying to you. And by the time, you, if you buy this stuff, you're going to wreck your life. You're going to wreck your future. Don't buy what the world is selling right now. It's destructive. What does it mean if a man gains the world and loses his soul? Yeah. This is just recycled stuff under new banners under new headings it's just a repackaging but let me tell you humanity has already done all these experiments and it failed miserably and I say this I I don't think the integrity so much just protects us hear me I think that integrity positions us because there's gonna be a day when the world wakes up and there's gonna be such devastation 
it will be one of the best hours for God's people to step up and say, I am not here to judge you, I'm here to help you. I'm not here to finger point. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help. And I would say that keep that cultivated in your heart. That God is not just protecting you for you. He is protecting you for one day. You will have a platform to serve people that otherwise you would never have. And everybody said amen to that. All right, number four, read it out loud. The gifts of the Spirit are a key element for flourishing. Now, some of you may think, oh, he's kind of stretching it here because I don't read anything about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. That's why you have your pastor here to help you see it. So it says this, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? What I want you to take note is this. This is not a follower of God who's making the commentary. This is a guy who thinks he's God. But he acknowledges there's something here. And he says this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Do you notice that he is saying it is in him? Please tell me you see that. He doesn't, he could have just as easily said on him. But he just says, I, I don't think it's on him. It's in him. And this is, a, this is a person who's not a follower of God. He doesn't know all the language of the day for, for the followers of God. He's not been orientated to Jehovah. He just says, I think this comes from inside this guy. And then he goes on to say to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is, no, there is no one so discerning as wise as you. He's already described two things. This guy has a gift of discernment and, a, and the gift of wisdom. Because he says, I don't know anybody who has this. I don't know of anyone who is so discerning and so wise. So he's already beginning to identify that there is a gift of discernment and the gift of wisdom. And then look at this. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. He is acknowledging that Joseph has a gift of leadership and a gift of administration. You give that kind of authority to somebody who does not have the gift of leadership and administration and they will wreck things. How many know they better have the gift? Come on, we've got, we've got some examples in, in, inside D.C. of people who don't have the gift. I'm sorry, but balancing a checkbook ought to be the easiest thing in the world. And supposedly the greatest minds in the world still don't know how to balance a checkbook. They tell Americans, live within your means. Okay, don't get me started. Okay, here we go. While practicing something totally different. Don't do as we do, do as we say. It's like, balance your checkbook. What's so hard about that? Anyway, back to this. So we see at least four gifting. And, here, uh, and here's, here's a real test for us. Okay? This is not one follower of God speaking about another follower of God. This is a pagan. This is a heathen. Heathen. This is somebody who doesn't, is not orientated towards the faith at all. And I say this, the real test of whether you have a gift of the Spirit or not is what do your friends who don't serve God say about you? Do your friends who don't serve Christ, do they say you have the gift of wisdom? Do you have the gift of discernment? It's one thing to have people in the church say, yeah, they got the gift of giving. Do your friends who aren't orientated towards Christ, do they say you have the gift of giving? Do they say you have the gift of healing? You see, the real test of our Holy Spirit is not how I can use it in a service or in a group of Christians. It says in Acts chapter 1 that the, the power of the Holy Spirit was given so that we might be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the other ports of the world. So in other words, the giftings of the Holy Spirit were never designed to make me famous in the body of Christ. They were designed to make me effective among people who don't know Christ. Some of you, that just went right over your head. We need to reframe the giftings of the Holy Spirit back into the context in which they were spoken rather than taking them and trying to make them work for where we want them to be. The bottom line is, 
The Holy Spirit is to change my witness. Bottom line. If it doesn't affect my witness among people who are not followers of Christ, then I didn't get all that God intended for my life. It has to make a difference on Main Street with the people that I'm around when the church music is not behind me and Pastor Malik makes me sound awesome. <laughs> it's got to make a difference on the guy on the street who's never met, set foot in a church. And he is clueless. Does what he see coming out of my life, does he say, the Spirit of God lives in him? There's a person that you can go to. Do they say, that's the real deal there? He's just not spouting. He's just not saying it because he's, he's the real deal. I've watched him. And it wasn't in a church service. He's the real deal. The gifts of the Spirit are a key element for our flourishing. And it's got to work in those contexts. And, you, and so, and I say this, that should make you hungry for the Holy Spirit. Hey God, I want to impact my office. I want to impact my neighborhood. I want to impact the friends that I hang out with. I want to, impact, I want to touch their life, but I need your help in order to do that. I mean, I, I can be a nice person, but that's not enough. You've got to help me to see things that I don't know, just like you did with Joseph. He saw things, and then he knew what to do. And Pharaoh said, I'm giving you authority because I see a dimension of your God working in you that I don't see in other people. Please, God, let people see a dimension of your activity in my life, that they know you're with me. Everybody said Amen. Number five, read it out loud. When we flourish, we can be a vessel of God's miraculous power to other people. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. What God wants to do for you, through you and for you is not just to the people who like you. It's not even to the people who have the same faith background that you do. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we get into the select mentality. I'll help those who are followers of Christ, and then I'll pray for the, I won't help them, but I'll pray for those who aren't. And listen, listen Joseph fed the world. He fed people who worshipped other gods. He fed people who never did come away, come around to his way of thinking. Joseph fed the world. A lot of times people will say, I have this burden, I have this heart for world hunger, for people who are hungry. I would love to solve world hunger. I'd love to solve that problem. And you know, if you had Joseph at your table, he'd go, well, I actually did that one time. <laughs> What would you like to know? <laughs> I mean, I actually fed the world for seven years, you know. I can kind of tell you a little bit about how to pull it off. <laughs> when we say that we can be a vessel of God's miraculous power to other people, I'm not talking to people who already agree with us. I'm talking about people who hate us. Hey, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Do good to them. He said, if they ask you to go a mile, go two miles. It's easy to get in this mentality that, yeah, I do that for, for people within the flock. Then if all we do is serve each other, then how does the world even know who Jesus is? I'm not saying there doesn't have to be good stewardship. Good management, because there's the gift of leadership, the gift of ministry. So there has to be good stewardship. There has to be good management. Okay, so I'm, I'm just not talking about throwing up in the storehouses and what, because I'm, I'm sure that Joseph had a system to make sure that everybody got something. So I, I doubt if it was just a free-for-all. I'm sure there was a system that he employed saying, hey, we only have so much grain for this particular year because we're trying to ride out seven, so let's make sure that we do this well. But you know that there are families who stayed intact because of Joseph. There are people who had a life 
and a future because of Joseph. There are people who were born after this famine because Joseph saved their parents. It's not always about saving your own skin. Sometimes what God wants to do is be up and beyond. And yeah, sometimes he calls you to serve people who don't even like you. They don't even agree with you. And even after you help them, they still don't come around to your way of thinking. And then you say on the inside, that's the last time I do that. Can you imagine, Joseph? Well, can you imagine after the first year of famine? Well, that's the last year I feed them. There's six more years of this. That's the last time I help them. Can I tell you, Christians take a beating and we just keep coming back. We don't stop. People burn us. People talk about us. People take advantage. And you know, we just keep coming back. Why? We care. And that's something they can't take away from us. We care. Last thing. Maybe. It is. Trust me. Last one. Read it out loud. When we are willing to be a vessel of God's miraculous power to other people, we often receive our own miracle. I don't think I'm embellishing the story at all when I say what I'm about to say. Joseph saving the world. And if he's a normal human being like you and me, he had to be thinking this. I'm feeding the world, I'm saving the world, and I can't even find my own family. I don't know where they are. I don't know what's happened to them. I got all this money, I got all this power, I have all this authority. I can save people that I've never met. I'll save people that I'll never know. And I can't even find my own family. I wonder what my dad's doing. I wonder if my dad's even alive. I wonder what my brothers are doing. And notice this. Then Joseph, his brothers show up. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Look at this beautiful statement. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Look at this. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And by the way, it was also to save his own family. For two years now, look at this. They're two years into the famine, and Joseph still don't know where his family is. He's fed the world for two years. And I can't even find where my brothers and my dad are. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. I want you to see this. Joseph didn't get his family and, and get his miracle until he was the miracle for thousands of families around the world for two years. And it's the principle of this. You reap what you sow. Joseph saved thousands of families. God said, how about I bring him to you? You don't have to go look for him. I'll bring him. Can I tell you this? I think you know me well enough. I'm not one to make pronouncements that I don't truly believe. I don't say things generalistic just to try to get a reaction. When I say something, I mean it. Some of you have facilitated the activity of God for so many other people. And today's your day of miracle. You need to call your wayward son back in. You need to call your wayward daughter, your wayward husband, your wayward wife, your wayward dad. 
You've been helping in the famine for two years. God says, why don't you watch me bring him? You don't have to go look for him. I'll bring him. I'll get him. Just call on me. You don't know where they are, but I do. And you don't know how to get them to come. God says, I do. God knew how to get his family out of, out of where they were. He used the famine. And he only gave them one source of food to go get it from. Now, how many know that's direction from God? He knows how to get your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your friend. Today is your season, your time for a miracle. Would you stand? Would you do that right now? We're going to slightly change how we conclude this. But I want Pastor Malik to lead us in that song that we sang toward the end. Come on, sing it in faith. Come on. In the name of Jesus, come alive. In the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. Don't say it as a statement, say it prophetically. Everything to the fear of Jesus, everything. In the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. Come on, sing it again. We sing, come alive. In the name of Jesus, come alive. In the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. Now sing it as a prayer. We sing, come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. I'm going to ask some of our connection group leaders and some of our church leadership if you would make your way forward. We're going to sing that song again. And if you need a miracle in your life or somebody else's life, I'm just going to ask you to step into the aisle, come and just let one of these folks pray for you. It's appropriate for me to say this. First service, I noticed a lady and I talked to her. Today was her first day relocated from another country is now in our community and in the midst of the service like this first service she just came forward and had one of the prayer team members just lead her to Jesus you know I don't know all the dynamics I don't understand but I just know this there's a famine and if we'll make the way possible they'll be here they'll come and some of you need a miracle for somebody in your life or for you personally come on as we sing that make your way and we're gonna let folks pray and then we're gonna dismiss but come on the rest of us we need to sing it in faith we need to sing it prophetically come on sing it now Jesus this is a house of miracles come on you need a miracle make we your way bring everything to the feet of Jesus everything in the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. We sing, come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring, we bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. Listen, I'm going to say the blessing, but before I have you lift your hands. 
I know sometimes we can just get into a routine, but I want you to hear the words. I say them every week, but I want you to hear these words in a new context. Do you realize that the blessing that I pronounce every week is a blessing about flourishing? Do you recognize that? I'm asking God to bless you, to flourish you, because we need him to do that so that we have the ability to have impact. We don't flourish just because we need bigger and better stuff. I need to flourish so that I have the resources to go touch somebody's life. So it's not about so much giving you bigger and better stuff. You need to say, yeah, God, I want that because I have people I could touch. I could have people that I could help if I did. If you did that, I have people that I could help. So come on, lift your hands as I say the blessing and receive it in a different way today. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land, all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, at church, in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that rise up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you have been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. Jesus.